This episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast is brought to you by Kane's Big Bread Machine. Don't let the pandemic come to an end without baking your own loaf of bread using Kane's own patented bread oven. Using real flames conjured from the bottomless pits of hell, you'll be enjoying sacrilegious slices of sourdough in no time when using Kane's Big Bread Machine. Available wherever fire extinguishers and Ouija boards are sold. Tag teams are a cornerstone of professional wrestling. Since the sport's inception, tag teams have played an integral part in its success. And as we here at the Enhancement Talent wind down our champion series, we've decided to give out the proper respect and recognition to some of the greatest tag teams that wrestling has ever seen. First up, we celebrate the top 10 WWF slash WWE tag team champions of all time. All right. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast. I'm your host, the man in the rafters, the one they call Tony Lopez. With me tonight, as he is every night, one half of the fabulous Lopez cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez. How you doing tonight, Bob? I'm doing great, sir. How about yourself? Doing awesome. Doing awesome. Uh, let's see what, I mean, uh, Hell in the Cell was this past weekend. That's about the most we have in, uh, more recent wrestling news. Did you get a chance to watch the pay-per-view? Negative. Um, it was Father's nah. Day. So we were doing Father's Day's activities. And then yesterday was my son's 10th birthday. So happy birthday, Nathan. And um, Happy birthday, Nathan. That, that's about it. So no no hell in the cell for me. Um, I don't think I even read about the reviews, but uh, I know you watched it, correct? Yes, I did. Drop. And it was... It was a decent. It was a decent pay per view. It was it was solid, but it wasn't anything to really uh, write home about. You know, it was two of the matches ended up in uh, ending in uh, schoolboy roll ups, which was kind of funny. Uh, the <laughs> um, which one Lashley, was it? Right? It was uh, it was one of them. Yeah, the, yeah, the Lashley. Uh, Lashley McIntyre match ended in the schoolboy with Lashley uh, retaining. And then uh, I'm trying to think of what the other one was. Um, let's see. I forget what it is. But one of the other ones also had a, a schoolboy roll-up, which, as we know, is the uh, most devastating maneuver in professional wrestling. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aside from the, the eye poke and the back break, yes. Nice. But, um. Yeah, it just it it was like I said, it was solid, but it didn't really advance storylines all that much. It seemed a, a little bit thrown together, to be honest with you. Um, but you know, the matches were okay. It's your typical uh, kind of like mid tier uh, pay per view, you know, one of the ones that's not one of the big four. It, you know, it just it. it the Hell in a Cell match itself wasn't all that, you know. I mean, the last match, the Bobby Lashley Drew McIntyre match, I think they utilized the um, the Cell pretty well. But the other match that uh, was in the Cell, I believe it was um, uh, 
was it Bianca? No, it wasn't Bianca Bell. Yeah, I think it was Bianca Belair and uh, and uh, Bailey, uh, which was the opening match. It was it was okay. You know it, that that's basically what the whole pay per view was. It was okay. That was that, that's that's about it. Were any were any legs slapped during the match? Tons. Nice tons. <laughs> that's a rule. They're 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 outlaw they're outlawing that, so they can't do that anymore. No more leg slapping. Yeah, no more leg slapping during super kicks. Yeah. So, but hey, like I said, it was what it was. Um, but you know, it, it builds on to uh, you know, they now the WWE is going to be going on to uh, was it Money in the Bank? I think is the next one. This was the last uh, pay per view that they had in the Thunderdome. Wow. Oh, okay. And. Yeah, so this is every uh, every pay per view going forward now is going to be in front of a live crowd. Nice. So yeah, that's the exciting part. Live studio audience. Um, it's right. It's right. And um, as we talked about before, uh, you know, in AEW news, they have finally uh, announced the venue for um, was it All Out? That's going to be here in Chicago. Correct. And it's going to be at the former Sears Center out in. Uh, Hoffman Estates. I don't. I, I forget what they call the the place now, but yeah, it's going to be out there. That way, that's of course the building where they hosted, uh, um, you know, All In, and you know they. It's the building that infamously has, or not infamous, but not infamously, but famously, has a plaque dedicated to AEW out in front of it. It's kind of uh, their Chicago home, as it were. So yeah, that's that's some exciting news uh, coming up. Um, you, uh, what's your response as far as the AEW news is concerned coming to Chicago? I'm ready to go. Um, my brother and I were lucky to go to the original All In, which was a great time. Um, then when they brought All Out, we had tickets as well. Um, we I was unable to make it, but my brother still went with a friend of ours and. Um, my brother and I went to Revolution right before the world started ending with the pandemic, and um, that was at uh, that wasn't at the Hoffman Estate, so that was a different location where Revolution was. But um, now that uh, All Out is coming again, I'm super excited and hopefully uh, be able to score some tickets to to be in the crowd for that event. Yeah. So yeah, I'm. You know, I'm. I'm chomping at the bit too. Hopefully I'll be able to get a hold of some tickets. I haven't been to an AEW show before, but I would love to. And, you know, they, they never pull out, you know, they pull out all the stops when it comes to, uh, to pay per view. So I'm excited. Yeah. So yeah, should be a good time. Good times. Good times. All right. That's right. Oh, and, uh, my lovely girlfriend, Kim has informed me that, uh, the other match that ended in a schoolboy roll up at hell and cell was the match between, uh, Seth Rollins and Cesaro. Ah, Seth Rollins. That is true. Doing a roll up on Cesaro to, uh, to get the pin. Nice. So thank you, Kim. Nice. All right. Well, let's, uh, before we get into this countdown, uh, for this, week's episode uh we have a little bit of a correction to do regarding last week's episode um i make kind of made a mistake when it came to our united states champion countdown um 
I omitted a wrestler unknowingly. So it kind of, um, what's it called? It kind of messes with the order that we had our United States champion countdown in. It doesn't hurt it drastically, but it does change it a bit. So the wrestler that I omitted by accident turned out to be um, Barry Windham. Barry Windham came in on the voting with uh, three and a half points. Uh, he got that because uh, he was, what was he on your list? I, be, I believe you had him eighth on your list. Number nine on my list. Oh, you had, him at, you had him at nine on your list. And Adam had him at eight on his list. And I had him as an honorable mention. So that's how he got his three and a half points. So with those three and a half points, that puts um, that puts Barry Windham at number 10 on our countdown, which moved our old number 10 MVP down to the honorable mentions. And that shifted our last honorable mention, Jimmy Snuka, off the the list altogether. So there you go. Uh, it was my fault uh, for omitting Barry Windham, but there you go. Number 10 on our United States championship list last week should have been Barry Windham. Bob, do you have anything to say about Barry Windham and his uh, run as a United States champion? That was probably peak Barry Windham. Um, you know, he, he was uh, severely underrated and um, I was a huge fan of him. You know, he uh, at that time is when obviously we, we he came into the WWF. He was with Mike Rotundo. Um, what was it? The US, US Express, correct? Tag team? Yes. Yes. Okay. They were they were tag champs there for a little bit. But then uh, he, he leaves to uh, the NWA and he becomes tag champs with Luger. Then he turns on Lex Luger and he joins the Four Horsemen. And then from there is when it just takes off. Uh, I remember Dusty was stripped of the belt so they have a vacant title because, like I said last week, that, that belt was vacated like once a week. Um, yeah, tons of times. But he, he ends up beating uh, my boy Nikita Koloff for the, for, the, for the belt. Holds it for 283 days. But, you know, the, the people he beats for it, Luger, Dusty Rhodes, Ricky Morton, uh, Nikita Sting, uh, Dr. Death, Bam Bam Bigelow, um, hot stuff Eddie Gilbert, you know, he, he was the defending man's champ and, you know, he was damn good at it. He had a lot of, uh, interference from the four horsemen, but, you know, as a heel champ, he, he played it off really well. And I, I was a huge fan of Barry Windham, like, especially at that time, unfortunately, like the WWF does what the WWF does. And that's when they brought him in and made him the stalker and all that other fun stuff that he was over there. <laughs> um, but yeah, to me, his NWA WCW days, those are, that's peak Barry Windham right there. So, um, he, he he's he's fantastic to watch yeah and like i said apologies to barry windham uh it was my fault for admitting him by accident last week so there you go our updated um let's see our updated list as far as our united states champions go let me bring up our old list um here real quick i have it if you're ready oh yeah Okay, you have it. So so start with number 10 with Barry Windham and then just work your way up to number one, Bob, please. So so it was Barry Windham, and then it was Ricky Steamboat at nine, your boy John Cena at number eight, the uh, Chief Wahoo McDaniel at seven, Ravishing Rick Rude was six, Magnum T.I. was number five. We had um, Blackjack Mulligan at four. At number three, we had a tie between Greg the Hammer Valentine and Nikita Koloff. Um, Barry Windham also told me that Ric Flair should have been number one, but he was the number two. 
and Lex Luger came in at number one. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, there we go. Our updated uh, United States Championship list, as it should have looked last week. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Thanks a lot. All right. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Uh, this week's episode, we are still continuing on with our championship series here. We're getting into the uh, final stages of it. And um, to start our final leg here, we have decided to go with tag champions. And to start the tag champion league, we will list our top 10 WWF slash WWE tag champs of all time. Now, it gets kind of complicated with the WWE or WWF, however you want to see it, when it comes to their tag champs because there's been, you know, some messing with the belts, I guess, as far as it goes over the years. Um, the original tag team belt was introduced in 1971, and that belt went all the way up until 2010. That was just your your WWF slash WWE World Tag Team Champions. In 2010, um, that those those belts were decommissioned. Um, and from that point forward, I mean, I don't know, it gets kind of complicated. Bob, do you have a better handle on this? Because I tried to make sense of it and it didn't really click with me. No, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're doing it right. Um, like you mentioned that they was deactivated for some reason. They created their own version of it, uh, for the raw brand and they had two separate titles and one of them got deactivated, like you said. Uh, Raw had their own title, and then eventually they created a SmackDown title, too. So throughout the entire time, there's been a total of three tag team title belts. Um, the main one that we you started mentioning, then that one got deactivated, and then Raw got their own, and then SmackDown got their own. I know it's uh, yeah. kind of sim- the easiest way to explain it. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's just... These belts, it just gets overly complicated as far as their history goes. But, yeah. And so what we decided was, instead of splitting hairs and going, like, with the different eras and technically what the belts were, basically, if it was a main roster tag team belt, then it counts. Okay? So no, like, top 10 world tag team champions, no top 10 raw tag team champions, no top 10 SmackDown tag team champions. If you were a tag team and won the championship on the main roster of WWF slash WWE, then you count on this countdown. Um, So yeah, that's basically what we're doing this week. I also made a rule this week when I was tabulating the votes and um, making the master list, I decided um, that there's going to be no ties this week. There, I, I devised some tiebreakers, and I'll explain them as they come on. Because the way the voting went, if I allowed ties, there would be way too many of them. Um, and we don't have enough teams listed. Uh, <laughs> there's, we don't have enough teams listed to, to count ties and also have a complete list. So there will be no ties on here. There are tiebreakers. And like I said, I will explain the tiebreakers when we get to them. So... Without further ado, let's get into our top 10 list for the enhancement talent uh, for the WWF slash WWE 
tag team champs of all time. All right, let's start with number 10 here. Number 10 um, comes in with six and a half points. And those six and a half points come, Bob, you had them on, on your honorable mentions. And Adam, who is not with us again, I should explain, you know, Adam, again, is not with us this week, uh, but he did give us a list and he and we did tabulate his votes into our totals. So, yeah, that's just like every week. Adam is part of the voting process. And on this particular on his particular personal list, he put this team at number five and that's how they got their six and a half points. We're talking about Jimmy and Jay, the Usos coming in at number 10 on our list. Now, when it comes to the Usos, I'm, I'm going to talk in Adam's place here since he's not with us. Um, when it comes to the Usos, they are um, two-time Raw Tag Team Champs and four-time SmackDown Tag Team Champs. They held the Raw belts for a total of 257 days, the SmackDown belts for a total of 380 days. That comes in as a total of about... 637 days, yeah. if I got that correct. Yeah, 637 days total with um, one or the other tag team belts, which is pretty impressive. Um, yeah, they, they first won the belts, it looks like, back in 2014. Uh-huh. And uh, they held the first streak 202 days. Their most recent uh, run with the belts Coming back in 2019, um, I know Jimmy was a Jimmy Uso, who's the one who kind of gets in trouble with the law every now and again. Uh, they that kind of causes some some uh, ruptures in their in their reins there. Plus, they get you know injury reasons, whatnot. You know, they all happen. But the Usos themselves, you know, they come from the lineage of uh, the uh, Anawaii family. Of course, they're cousins of Roman Reigns. They're uh, the the sons of Rikishi. They, um, you know, they they have that pedigree when it comes to uh, to wrestling, and they're they really are just a entertaining ass tag team. You know, they high flyers, really high impact, uh, entertaining as hell, and yeah, I I don't fault. Uh, I have no problem with them actually being in the top 10 here, considering how many times they've won the belt and those durations. Um, Bob, you had them as honorable mentions. So what do you have to say about the Usos? Yeah, I put them at number 14 on my list. Um, like you said, they've won the belt six times. First team to win the, the Raw and SmackDown belts. Like we mentioned before, the original tag team titles were there forever, and then they got kind of deactivated. When they got deactivated, they created a Raw tag team belt. Well, that deactivated original belt was intertwined and, and um included with the new raw belt so kind of like that made it that the primary belt and like i said they did the smackdown one afterwards but they won their first belt like you said in march of 2014 beating the new age outlaws um 202 days that they held the belt for which is pretty impressive the uh second time they held it was december of 2014 they beat the miz and miz dow which was damian sandow um they held that belt for for 55 days um then they lost the belts to Tyson Kidd and Cesaro. Uh, Jay Uso, like you said, he he actually got hurt. He hurt he hurt his shoulder. Um, and then that's when they were doing like the uh, the Samoan gimmick at that time. Um, you know, 
the heritage with the face painting and stuff. But then after he got hurt is when they came back and they kind of like at first when I started noticing it, it kind of felt like it was a ripoff of the uh, the Briscoe Brothers gimmick from the Ring of Honor. Um, they were just yeah, a little bit yeah. You know, they, they came back with that gimmick and 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 that's when they kind of took off. They went over to SmackDown March of seventeen. They went uh, their first SmackDown belt from American Alpha. Hold that for one hundred twenty four days. And the Blues in it to New New Day, and then win their fourth belt uh, against the New Day again. Um, their fifth belt, they also beat New Day for that title. Um, the, and then the last time they won the belt, they beat Shane McMahon and the Miz. Um, they're they're a good tag team, uh, especially. I, I like the fact that they they Cohen coincide together really well because especially because they're twin brothers uh you know they work really well together uh both of them high flyers both of them entertaining um greatest tag team in the world um you know i I wouldn't put them in my top 10 that's why i put them in the 14 but you know i I could see adam's uh reasoning for it um but yeah uso brothers good pick um top 10 I guess right at that cusp, I guess, is a good point for him, but I don't see him going any further, especially when we go through the long lineage of champions. Exactly. All right. Well, there you go. With six and a half points, we have Jimmy and Jay, the Usos, in at number 10. All right. Let's move to number nine. And at number nine, like I said, that NYE family, the, the rich history of the Samoans, in in professional wrestling, especially in the WWF slash WWE, um, coming in at number nine, the Wild Samoans, also with six and a half points. Um, they cut they points wise they tied with the Usos, but we had a tiebreaker here because um, the Wild Samoans showed up on all three of our ballots, as opposed to the Usos who only showed up on two of our ballots. So. Coming in with six and a half points, they got those points because they were number eight on my personal list, number eight on your personal list, Bob, and Adam had them as an honorable mention. So, yeah, Wild Samoans coming in at number nine. Let's start with you, Bob. What do you have to say about the Wild Samoans? Great minds think alike, sir. Welcome back. Exactly. Um, Three-time champs, uh, the original belts, 431 days they held it for, uh, Afa and Sika. Um they were just ruthless. They were they were brutal. They they would beat your ass. And it was fun because they had uh, Captain Lou Albano as their manager. And um, what I liked about them is you, you were just scared of them when you would see them on TV as a little kid. You know they they didn't talk. They would just grunt at the TV. They, I remember they would they had a segment where they were eating like raw fish and bones and stuff like that. And you know you, you were just like, what the hell is wrong with these people? But when uh, when they came in, you know they they would just beat people's ass and. Um, you know, they won their first belt um, in April of 1980, I think it was. Uh, 119 days they held it for. Uh, they beat Tito Santana and Ivan Putski. Um, they defended it 20 times against Gorilla Monsoon and Pat Patterson, um, Ivan Putski and Andre the Giant. Then they ended up losing. We've talked about this match in the past. They ended up losing the two out of three falls to Bob Backlund and Pedro Morales. So you have two of the biggest uh baby faces in the company uh go teaming up together to take out the wild Samoans and they beat them but then they had to uh vacate the title because at that time Backlund was a champ uh, the heavyweight champ so you couldn't hold two belts at the same time at that time um they pick up their second belt September of 1980 hold that for 60 days they beat Tony Gurea and Rene Goulet 
in the in the tournament finals. And again, they're defending against uh, Andre the Giant and Bob Backlund, Dusty Rhodes and Pat Patterson. And they lose to uh, Rick Martell and Tony Gurea. Soon they leave the company. They join Mid-South for a while. They also join Mid-Atlantic for a while. And then they come back and they pick up their third belt, March of 83, against uh, Jay and Jules Strongbow. They hold that one for 252 days. Defended 18 times against our our, our friends uh, Ivan Putski and Jimmy Snuka, the Invaders. And then they lose the titles to a Soul Patrol. I always like saying that team name, Soul Patrol. Uh, Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson <laughs> with Rocky Maivia's dad. And um, afterwards, they end up losing the company. But, uh, yeah, they were just a good dominating tag team uh, during that time in the uh, the 80s. As you saw, a lot of their challengers were just people that were just kind of put together. Um, you know, Dusty Rhodes and Pat Patterson, Andre the Giant, Bob Backlund. Like, they would just put these people together. But... The uh, the Wild Samoans were just a cohesive unit that worked really well together, and and they were just a good dominating tag team. So I had to put them on my list. Yeah, most definitely. You, you said it right there. I mean, they were, you know, Alpha and Sika very intimidating. You know, they they played up the whole you know savage Samoan kind of image. You know, to a T. They were there to to intimidate, to frighten, to you know it was in their name, the wild Samoans. They were just, they were supposed to be just these untamed animals that were there to just beat the crap out of you. And that's what they did. I mean, it's, you know, they're legends, Alpha and Sika. They're just, you know, one of, if not the best, or they're one of the best tag teams of all time, without a doubt. And I think that uh, their reigns with the WWF tag team championship kind of proved that out. They were just, you know, part a great part of wrestling history that, like I said, the Anawaii family uh, is, you know, just wrestling royalty. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, I mean, I have them being in the top 10 is, uh, shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. So there you go. With at number nine on our list with six and a half points, the Wild Samoans, Afa and Sika. All right, let's move to number eight. Eight on the list. Number eight on the list comes in with a grand total of eight points. They got those eight points from being number eight on Adam's personal list. Bob, you had them as number nine on your personal list, and I had them as number seven on my personal list. We're talking about the Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldogs, coming in at number eight on our list of the top ten. WWE slash WWF tag champs of all time. All right. Uh, The British Bulldogs, I mean, they only had one run with the belt. You know, it was, you know, thinking of them and you think just what great talents they were. You thought that they would be a multi-time champ, but they weren't. They only had one run, but that one run was pretty substantial. They held the belt from April of 1986, where they beat the dream team of Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine, and they held the belt all the way up until January of 87 when they dropped it to the Hart Foundation, and that grand total reign was 294 days. So they held the belt for about nine months, and um, yeah, I mean, when you think about the Hart Foundation, you have a team that just kind of they they just 
complement each other perfectly. You have the dynamite kid who's a smaller, faster, kind of um, <coughs> more technical slash high flying wrestler. He was, um, you know, if you were going to compare him to somebody, he's the spinning image of uh, Chris Benoit. You know, he's just a guy who is just sh- kind of shorter, but squat very muscular and could do a lot in the ring. He's the workhorse. And then you have Davy boy Smith, who is the muscle, you know, he's just a big muscular guy. So, you know, he's the guy who comes in and does the power moves, usually makes the save, gets the hot tag, you know, that, that was Davy boy Smith. So the, the British bulldogs, I believe were, you know, just a great tag team that complement each other. And that run with the belt was pretty special. You know, nine months is nothing to sneeze at when it comes to a run with the belt. So, yeah, I mean, I know it was only one run, but uh, they made it memorable. And that's why I believe the British Bulldogs fully deserve to be at number eight on our overall list. Um, What do you have to say about the Bulldogs, Bob? I agree 100%. Um, Growing up watching them, that that to me was the definition of what a tag team should be. Like you mentioned, the the short finesse, um, you know, mover like like the Dynamite Kid and the big powerhouse brute strength of the British Bulldog. You know, you had the, the combination there, and a lot of tag teams would have that. Uh, we we mentioned you know Afonsica, and they were kind of the same. You mentioned the Usos, they're again splitting images, but this is you know a smaller guy and a bigger guy. And that to me was what a tag team was growing up. I would see that. And um, I think the WWE, uh, WWF at that time, Vince made a genius idea because at that late part of the eighties, you know, the tag team division was just amazing. You know, you had so much talent in there and he brings over the Bulldogs and he brings over the heart, the heart foundation from stampede when he purchased it and he had them feud together. These were teams that were already feuding together in stampede, and they just made each other look like gold, you know, and it's just like it just put both of them over. And it's just like that he did a fantastic decision when he did that because, you know, it, it brought to you as, as a new tag team, the British Bulldogs, and they look just amazing. And you're like, wow, who's these guys? You know, and the same thing with the Hart Foundation. But like you mentioned, when they beat the um, the Dream Team and they won their championship at WrestleMania 2, uh, they defended it 18 times, the Hart Foundation. They would beat uh, uh, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik, the Dream Team. Uh, the Moon Dogs, and then, like you said, they mentioned to, they lost the belts to the Hart Foundation, and unfortunately, after that, they never got the titles back. But it was because Dynamite Kid, from everything that he was doing, his his body just gave up on him. Um, not sure if you saw the Dark Side of the Ring, but they talk about it where his his lower back it just his spine just pretty much the discs and the vertebrae just cracked. Um, they gave out, and you know, they had the the way that they made it look like he was going to be out for a while is he got attacked at the beginning of the match and Bulldog was by himself. And that's how the hearts won the, uh, the belt. But, you know, he had to have surgery and here he is having surgery and the dude comes back, you know, a few months later. And it's just like the dude just had spine surgery and he's, he's just out there because he's the dynamite kid. But, um, had the had the man never gotten injured, you know, we could have been talking about multiple championships for the for the British Bulldogs because that's how great they were, uh, how well they gelled and the chemistry they had together. But unfortunately, you know, uh, they had that and they had the incident where he got fired for beating up uh, Ray. Was it Ray Rougeau? I think it was. He he he, he won it. Was one of the Rougeaus. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. So it was. Um, 
Oh, it was Jacques Rougeau, my bad. But um, that when they left the company in, in 88, it was just a damn shame that they never got, you know, more runs with it because they should have deserved They definitely deserved it. Yeah. You know, yeah, like I said, the Dynamite Kid is just, you know, it's a tragic case. And, you know, he, say what you will about him, he, he was not a very nice person in his private life, we'll just say that. But, you know, he was a hell of a performer um infamously stiff in the ring you know there's a you know of course that story that mcfoley tells about you know when he had one of his tryout matches in the wwe and he takes a clothesline from the dynamite kid um and breaks his jaw you know he he just flat out broke his jaw with the clothesline um yeah british bulldogs were yeah one of the one of if not the most you know talented tag teams of the eighties and they definitely deserve a place on this list. And that's why we're cool with them being number eight overall with eight points. All right, let's move to number seven. Number seven comes in with 13 points. Um, They get those 13 points because they were number nine on my overall list. They were number six on your overall list, Bob. Adam had them all the way up at number four. We're talking about Billy Gunn and the Road Dog, the New Age Outlaws, coming in at number seven on our list. Um, yeah, Bob, you want to start out with uh, the New Age Outlaws? The New Age Outlaws had uh, a total of six championships, 504 days total that they held it. Um, we talked about the last previous three teams, cohesiveness. They, they have some kind of... Uh, bond together, where it was the Bulldogs. Uh, I believe they were related. They were cousins, correct? Yeah. Okay. And then Afi and Sika and, and the Usos, brothers. You know, um, the New Age Outlaws, you just had two people that their characters were going nowhere. You had the roadie, the road dog, and yet you had, um, you know, Rockabilly. And, and they had no nothing to do with these characters. And they said, let's just throw these two guys together and see what happens. And in the late 90s, when they got together, all of a sudden, they just took off. I mean, remember, they first started coming out. They had no entrance music. The Road Dog would come out with the mic and just talk shit about his opponents. And they just get more popular and more popular and more popular. Next thing you know, they're pretty much the most popular tag team during the Attitude Era. Um, I remember reading that, you know, at one time, they were third overall behind the rock and Steve Austin when it came to merchandise, just that's how popular the new age outlaws were. And it was just like, wow, they, they made it together. Like they, they eventually ended up going to DX and they were part of DX as well, but you know, they took off and they made it work when people think thought it wouldn't, uh, their first belt, November of 97, they beat the uh, Legion of doom. Um, you know, they, they hold that for 125 days. They end up losing the belts to Mick Foley and uh, Chainsaw Charlie at WrestleMania 14. But then they end up getting the titles vacated and stripped from them. So then they have a cage match on Raw for the rematch to that, and they win the belt again. So now they hold that one for 105 days. Um, that one, that one, I laugh because you look at who they defended it against, the Legion of Doom 2000 at that time. So that was a fun team. <laughs> Um, the yeah. Nation of Domination, the DOA, but then they defended the belts twice against the Midnight Express. And when I thought about that, I was like, 
bodacious uh, Bob Holly and Bart Gunn. That was the Midnight Express. I was like, wow. Um, they lose to Kane and, and, and Mankind, and then uh, they pick up their third belt, SummerSlam 98. They have the no-holds-barred, false count anywhere match uh, versus Mankind because Kane had gotten attacked or something had happened to Kane previously, so he couldn't wrestle uh, that one. They hold it for 106 days. They're defending it against uh, Southern Justice, who at that time had a new gimmick that they were originally the Godwins. Um, they were defending it against Head Cheese, uh, the headbanger, <laughs> you know, this is how great the tag team division is in the uh, the WWF at that time. They lose the co- to the corporation. Um, September of 99, they pick up their fourth belt against the Rock and Sock Connection. Then they lose it to them again. They pick up uh, their fifth belt against uh, El Snow and Mankind. Um, then after that, they lose it to the Dudleys at No Way Out. The team gets split up. They break their characters apart. Um, the road dog ends up getting fired because of drug issues. Billy Gunn just ends up leaving. They go they do their run in TNA impact for a while. And then they come back and they win their final belt, uh, 14 years after they won their previous one. Uh, they beat, uh, gold dust and stardust, which is Cody Rhodes at Royal rumble in 2014, hold that belt for 36 days. And then eventually lose it to the Uso brothers that we were talking about earlier. And then after that, they never won another belt, but, um, two people that just came together out of nowhere just because their characters were failing and they made it work and they were made it super popular, super big. So huge props to, uh, your boy, Billy Gunn. I know we had a whole episode dedicated to him and, um, the road dog. So good times. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad that episode we had dedicated to him was this horrible entrance music, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the new age outlaws, I mean, I was never a huge fan of the New Age Outlaws, to be honest with you. I thought their shtick kind of went south after a while, but you can't, you can't even deny how over they were with the crowd, especially in their prime. Um, you know, I, I just remember when uh, they came back, um, what was that, like 2014, I want to say, um, when they came back and had that little mini run with the belts. Um, you know, after being away for so long, uh, I think you, you, you were talking about, about how, how long was that last reign they had with the belt that, that like, yeah, it was only for like a month, but yeah. even, even then, you know, they were still over like Rover with the damn crowd. So it just tells you how important, um, the new age outlaws were not just as a team, but as just a component of the WWF during the attitude era, they were, they were definitely um, one of the foundations of that era. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't see a way of, you know, like I said, I wasn't crazy about them, but I can't see a way of them not being in the top 10. They were just that they were that important to the tag team division. And yeah, I have no problems with them being coming in at number seven overall with 13 points. So there you have it coming in at number seven, the New Age Outlaws. All right, so let's go to number six on our list. Um, <laughs> me and Bob were talking yesterday, um, you know, and I kind of warned him that there was going to be a, a section here that he might, you know, he might <laughs> he might be a little upset at considering where he placed these teams on his list. And uh, we're starting to get to that area here right now. And we'll start it off here at number six. 
Um, coming in at number six, like I said, with 15 and a half total points. Um, I had this team at number five on my personal list. Adam only had them as an honorable mention, which is kind of what brings them down so low because Bob had them all the way at number two on his list. We're talking about Matt and Jeff, the Hardy boys coming in at number six with 15 and a half points. Um, Bob, I'll let you take him away because you had him all the way at number two. What do you have to say about the Hardys? Very interesting. Um, yeah, the Hardy boys, uh, they, they won the belts eight times, 235 total uh, days that they held it together. Um, like we mentioned, just the, the pairing of the two, obviously, real-life brothers. But their style that they brought at that time was something that we weren't used to. Um, you know, they're very innovative um, you know, they started off as an enhancement talent and they got noticed because they obviously they did their job. They put other people over and, uh, they started using their fly, the high flying tech tactics and a lot of tandem wrestling, you know, that they would put together, which was really, really cool at that time. Cause we really were used to it. But during that, like tag team Renaissance that came about again in the two thousands, which some of these teams were still talking about, and we're going to list even higher, you know, the Hardys had a huge place, you know, to put in that. And a lot of times we've talked about some of our WrestleMania matches, um, you know, that were some best matches we've ever seen was because the Hardys were involved in some of those matches. And I'm talking about the TLC matches that we're talking about, but um, the thing that, kind of goes iffy back and forth and maybe I could see Adam's reasoning for it is they won the belts eight times, but their longevity of how long they held it for was very, very minimal. Uh, first belt, yeah. they went the APA. Um, they hold that belt for 26 days. They lose it again to the APA uh, at fully loaded. That was back in uh, June of 99. So their second one, they win in September of 2000. Uh, they beat Edge and Christian in a cage match. Unforgiven. Hold the belt for 28 days. Um, that one, they're defending it against, uh, Edge and Christian, Too Cool, the Mean Street Posse, and this is one of my favorites, Lowdown, they defend it against, which, if you remember, is, uh, D'Lo Brown and Chaz from the Headbanger, so that was a fun That's one. That's right. Uh, they lost the belt to the Los Conquistadors at that time. Um, so, <laughs> the third belt that they had, they were the Conquistadors, and they beat Edge for the title. That one, again, they hold the belt for two weeks. Um, the fourth belt, they beat the Dudleys for it. Um, they lose, they hold the belt for f- two weeks. The fifth belt, they beat, uh, Booker T and test in, in a cage match. Um, then, um, they end up holding that belt for six days. So, um, they, they win. That was in 2001. After that, you know, they end up doing the genius thing of breaking up the Hardys and they have them feud with each other. Uh, Jeff ends up going to uh, Impact Wrestling after that, TNA at that time. And uh, they come back in 2006. So then they win their six belts. When they come back, they uh, win a tag team battle royal on Raw. And um, they win the belt. That one they hold for 63 days. That was one of their longest ratings uh, belts that they had. But again, the talent that you're going up against, they had the world's greatest tag team, which when you think about the Hardys and Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, like that's just dollar signs there, you know. But then you have them defending the belts against um, Trevor Murdoch and uh, Garrison Cade or Lance Cade. Uh, that 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 does not show dollar signs to me. <laughs> you know? it's like, yeah, who the hell are these people? Um, again, after that, 
they uh, they split up and they don't come back until 2017. 2017, 10 years later, is the infamous WrestleMania uh, 33 four-way ladder match when they get one of the loudest pops in the history of tag team wrestling when they when that music hits at WrestleMania. Um, yes, you know, sir. They win that match and uh, they held they held that again for 63 days. They hold it, and then their last one, they their eighth belt that they won. Uh, they beat the Usos on SmackDown. Uh, they had the belts for 21 days, but then Jeff Hardy ends up getting injured, which because of his style that he would wrestle, you know, he would get injured a lot. Uh, but he got injured storyline-wise due to uh, Lars Sullivan attacking him, which you know what I think about Lars Sullivan. But um, they vacate the titles. Matt leaves for AEW. They never get any title belts anymore. Um, but I just think the... Hardys were a huge pl- part to play in, like I said, that that renaissance of wrestling in in the uh, 2000s with the Dudleys, with Edge and Christian. Um, you know, they 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 were fun to watch. They were like, I, I mean, how many times would we order a pay per view, and you know, the Hardys weren't going to main event, but when that music hit and they were ready to come out, you were glued to the seat because you wanted to see what they had to do. So I give lots of props to the Hardys. Yeah, yeah, so do I. I mean, like you said, that that pop that they got at WrestleMania 33 after being gone for so long was deafening. And you only get that kind of pop if, you know, the fans really, really care about you. And that's exactly what what how they feel about the Hardy Boys. It's, you know, I think you said it perfectly in that era there, like in the late 90s into the early 2000s, kind of like that branch period, kind of like that transition period from the Attitude Era into, what would it be, like the Ruthless Aggression Era or whatever. Um, You know, the Hardy Boys were a really big cog in the machine when it came to that period of, of, um, of the WWE at that time. And you know, and I think it's all the more impressive that even though, you know, each guy would, you know, the, the group would, uh, you know, break up here and there and they'd branch out and get uh, certain levels of single success. The both of them would. Um, it They would always seem to just come back together into the team and be just as over as they ever were. You know, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, them being brothers has a lot to do with it, but just the the chemistry they have the way you know their their innovative offense it you know i think if it's possible for the hardys to be just a tad bit underrated i think um it's true you know like i said i had them in my top five and they definitely uh i believe deserve deserve that spot so yeah there we go. At number six with 15 and a half points, Matt and Jeff, the Hardy boys. The thing that impressed me with the Hardys is, and you might agree with me here, is as they got older, I feel like they got more over with the, with the crowd. Like, you know, we had them, like I said, we mentioned that time during the, with the Dudleys and Edge and Christian when they had those phenomenal matches. But when they left and they came back prior to that WrestleMania 33 that we talked about, you know, they were in Ring of Honor, and they were doing uh, all those shows with the, the Young Bucks and these matches. Like, 
they were just as over as anybody, you know, like they could get over really, really well. And yeah, they're doing independent stuff, but that's why the WWE jumped on them and brought them back because they were just so over that people were just going nuts about seeing them go up against the young bucks. And this was as they're getting older, like no, no knock on Matt Hardy. He could obviously do it still, but you know, he was, he was not what he was 20 years ago. No, you, know, no. you know, Jeff still is Jeff here and there, you know, obviously he's lost a step too, Matt a lot more, but you know, as they're still a lot older now, they're still getting over and over and over and everybody wanted to see them like you said that pop at wrestlemania 33 you know it's still like holy shit there's a there's a behind the scenes when when they show the new day walking off the stage and even biggie is like holy shit like you yeah. know it's just like wow so it's just like i felt like they got over uh, a lot a lot better as they got older is what i was trying to say and that says a lot because when they were younger you know they were still like i said must see tv yeah, and I think a lot of, I mean, especially that that pop that they got when they came back, um, it was a lot to do with them getting over when they were gone, like you said. I mean, in Impact, Matt totally reinvented himself with the, with the broken Matt Hardy thing, which got over like hell. I mean, that was, you know, outside of WWE, that was probably the hottest thing going in wrestling at that mm-hmm. point. And, um, you know, Jeff was right there with it, with the brother Nero thing going on too. So, you know, for them, for the WWE to give the Hardys back, especially at that point in their career where they're going off the, the broken mat and brother Nero kind of, you know, stat stage in their career was really cool, you know? So yeah, I mean, to have, to re to be able to reinvent yourself and, you know, just do it over and over in your career, especially a team like the Hardys, where at first you only think that they're, you know, just good at being, you know, just high flying tag team. And then you just give them the chance to actually develop character. You know, the, the whole Matt, Matt Hardy version 1.0 thing, when you went heel after uh, splitting up at, you know, at first that's, that shit was awesome, you yeah. know? And then, and then Jeff going off and, being a serious uh, threat and contender for the world championship. You know, he, you know, Jeff doesn't have the build of your usual world champ contender, but because of his style, of course, you know, especially with that, uh, that famous match he had with the undertaker, when the undertaker gave him, gave him respect at the end of the match, you know, it's, you know, just two very, very special talents. And yeah, I mean, that's, that is just as volumes about them. So yeah, I'm happy that they're on the list and I'm happy that they're as high as they are at number six, considering the competition that they had in front of them. So they were, they were the young bucks before the young bucks. Exactly. Yeah. I, I totally agree. They were, they were definitely the young bucks before the young bucks. Um, And I think the young bucks even you know, the Young Bucks even give them their props as far as, uh, you know, how much of an impact they had on them when they were coming up. So, yeah, there you go. The innovative, the influential Hardy Boys coming in at number six with 15 and a half points. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. All right. Well, we are in the top five now, and... um. At number five, we also have a team that comes in at 15 and a half points. Um, and they 
the the tiebreaker here because they have the same amount of points as the Hardy Boys. I had a tiebreaker here because they this team was the number one on a particular list, and uh, that particular list is Bob's particular list. Um, at number five, we have Edge and Christian with fifteen and a half points. I had them at number six on my list. Bob, you had them like I said at number one. Adam again has them at an honorable mention. So that's how they get their their 15 and a half points. Uh, we got to start with you, Bob, since this is your number one pick on your list. So let's talk about Edge and Christian. Wow. I, I'm, I'm excited to hear Adam's list, really. Uh, Edge and Christian, uh, again, childhood friends that, uh, you know, m- made it big. And um, seven reigns, 206 days. Uh, they were they were again like we just talked about the Hardys. Uh, they were another team that revolutionized tag team wrestling in the two thousands. Um, these guys constantly stole the show. Again, like we just talked about, you know, Austin and Rock or Undertaker, Mankind, whoever was from the main event. Those were the matches you wanted to see. But if Edge and Christian and the Hardys and the Dudleys were going at it, you, you would not move. You you had to sit there and watch it. Um, you know they they made TLC matches, you know, ladder matches, uh, tables matches with the Dudleys. You know, they, they were just fun matches to watch. Edge and Christian were fantastic heels. Uh, they were, you know, their their promos were great. The skits that they would do, uh, the Chris Benoit's music on the, on the kazoo, um, you know, Kurt Angle stuff that they would do with him. They The five-second poses that they would do. Those were just fun, and they, they were just a, a team that you 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 wanted to hate as heels because that's what they were, but you, you loved them at the same time, and you appreciated what they did. Um, again, seven reigns that they had. Their first one, WrestleMania 2000, the three-way ladder match with the Dudleys and the Hardys. We've talked about that match countless times. That was their first reign, 57 days that they hold it for. They defended 11 times against uh, Hardcore Holly and Kurt Angle, DX, um, Kurt Angle and um, and Shawn Michaels, or the Big Show, I'm sorry, Uh, the Hardy Boys, uh, the APA, Too Cool, China, and Eddie Guerrero. You know, they they were defending it against all these people. They lose the belts to Too Cool on Raw, which that sucks. I could see them getting pushed down the list because who would want to lose to Too Cool? Um, their second reign, they won in June of 2000, a four corner elimination match versus two cool, the Hardy boys and Tustin Albert. They hold that one for 91 days. Again, they're defending against Kane and the undertaker, the APA, the Dudleys, the Hardys, DX, the rock and the undertaker. Uh, they lose to the Hardy boys in a cage match. The third, the third brain, they only hold it for a day. That's with, uh, they were Los Conquistadores. They wrestled the Hardy Boys. They won the belt, but then they lost it the next day to the Hardys again on Raw. Um, their fourth reign, they only held it for eight days. That was a four-way dance with the Dudleys, the Right to Censor, uh, and then the Road Dog and, and R-Truth, who at that time was K-Quick. They ended up losing that to the Rock and the Undertaker. Um, fifth reign, 33 days they hold it. They beat the Rock and the Undertaker. Uh, Kurt Angle was the ref on that one, so he helped them win that match. They lose to the Dudleys at the Royal Rumble. Then uh, 2001, they win their sixth belt against the Hardys on Raw. But again, they lose that. Like about an hour later, they lose the belt to the Dudleys on Raw. And then their final one was um, March of 01, WrestleMania 17, the famous TLC match with the Dudleys and the Hardy Boys again. Um, 
They lose to the Brothers of Destruction on SmackDown 16 days later, and then they end up splitting um, Edge and Christian apart. Edge ends up retiring soon after that. Christian does his own thing in Impact. But when they were together, just the, the cohesiveness um, that they had together, they, the mic skills, the promos, the stellar matches and the competition that they had, um, they were defending champs against big-name people. To me, I, I thought they were one of the best tag teams that stood out during the championship reigns that, that we talked about. Um, obviously, you know, there there's other tag teams that are fantastic and better than Edge and Christian, but when it actually came to being champions, you know, they, they stood out to me. So I had to put them out number one. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't blame you for putting them in number one. They're definitely, you know, one of the most influential and entertaining tag teams of all time. I mean, like you said, the, the kazoo playing the, you know, for those with the benefit of flash photography, that just the goofiness that they had when they had, you know, when they were in their prime, you know, you had to love Edge and Christian. They were, they were just, what was there not to love, you know? And, you know, I, I only, I had them at number six on my personal list. I had them just below uh, the Hardys because the Hardys, I thought as a team were a little bit more, um, cohesive and um a little bit more influential than edge and christian um but like i said they were just with each other right there uh for importance and overall rank in my list so yeah just like you you had uh the hardys and 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 edge and christian at one and two i had them at you know five and six they were they're like right there with each other and you can't think of one without thinking of the other of course because you know with the whole you know the tables ladders and chairs matches they had with each other um you know alongside with the dudleys you also had you know the drama between you know (laughs) edge and edge and lita and matt of course but that that of course didn't have anything to do with the tag the tag side of, of things but you know those those two teams are always going to be um, in lockstep with each other. They're kind of their greatest rivals, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I could totally see why you would put them at number one. They were very very important to uh, to the federation at that time. So yeah, yeah, that's there we go. That's why they're in our top five at five, fifteen and a half points. Edge and Christian coming in at number five all right let's move to number four number four comes in with 21 points um overall and they got those 21 points they were number four on my personal list bob you had them at number seven on your personal list and adam surprisingly to me adam had this team all the way up at number one. We are talking about the new day coming in at number four with 21 points. Um, you know, Adam had him at number one. I'll talk in his stead here. Uh, the new day are, uh, they come in, they are, they are seven time SmackDown tag team champs. Uh, their total reign coming in at 380 days in their seven run in their seven times with the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, and they are two-time Raw Tag Team Champions. 
the overall reign being 532 days with the Raw belts. Of course, that second reign they had with the Raw Tag Team Championship came, uh, you know, they ended up breaking demolitions uh, overall single reign uh, longevity record. And they held the belts there for 483 days. Uh, that particular reign started, uh, well, let me see here. They won the belt from the, the primetime players, uh, Darren Young and Titus O'Neill. They won those in August of 2015, and they held the belts for over a year. They they held those belts all the way till December of 2016 when they lost it to uh, the team of Cesaro and Sheamus, better known as The Bar. Um, but yeah, that, that run there from, uh, 2015 and 2016, 483 days again, still a, uh, a longevity record for a single, single title run, uh, with the belt for the new day. Like I said, breaking demolitions old record. Um, yeah, I mean the new day, definitely, uh, a team that was, when they first came in, you know, it was a team of Big E, um, Big E, Kofi Kingston, and Xavier Woods. All three of those guys before the New Day came were just, they just didn't really have anything for them. So, of course, they put them all together. They had kind of like this gospel gimmick at first where they were trying to make them heels, but on the, like a positivity level. I don't know what the hell they were trying to do, but eventually uh, the big, the new day found a way to just get themselves over, man. They're just their, their, the force of personality that all three of those guys have to get themselves over. I thought was beautiful. Um, you know, Biggie who they were just using as kind of like a, like personality free muscle for guys like Dolph Ziggler before this uh, turns out, he had a personality in spades and, you know, he definitely was <coughs> um, turned into a crowd favorite as did uh, Xavier Woods, Xavier Woods coming out with his trombone, you know, just working the crowd up work, you know, getting the fans behind him. Kofi Kingston, he's kind of the, the silent partner of the group, but probably the best worker in the ring. Uh, he, you know, he's definitely like a wily veteran who, you know, definitely holds his own with the team. You know, they're just three guys who work great together. They have great chemistry, you know, they're over with the crowd and, you know, they just would not be denied. Those, those championship runs are definitely, uh, well-earned and, you know, I, I would say without a shadow of a doubt, they're probably not probably without a shadow of a doubt, the best tag team of like the last 10 years. So yeah. And that's, that's in, I should, I, I would say that's high praise to be, you know, the best tag team of the last decade. So yeah, the new day that's, I think they totally deserve every accolade that, um, that comes their way. Uh, Bob, what do you got to say about the new day? 
I think you said it all perfectly with regards to the new day. Um, when it comes down to, like you said, the the last ten years, one of the best tag teams. Um, especially in the WWF, they are the best. You know, best tag team that they have. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I meant. In the WWF, yeah. the best tag team um, in ten years. You know, when you when you talk about that. Uh, one of the best tag teams for for the company itself, maybe 10, 15 years, like you mentioned. Um, it's just hard for, for me to go overall and look and just be like, when you, when you close your eyes and you say, think of the greatest tag team champions in history of the WWF and, and you know, just new day, I'm sorry, is not going to be the one that tops my list. Very, you know, the first one to pop into my mind, m- not even, you know, maybe seven, eight, it was where it'll pop out. Um, but no, no slight on Adam. Obviously, he picked him number one for a reason. Um, like you said, it, they they super popular with the crowd. It was actually the the crowd that ate him up and turned him into uh, the heels, and that's what where they took off. Because remember, uh, they would come out with the power of positivity as faces, and the crowd kind of did like the uh, the Rocky sucks stuff, where they would say New Day sucks, and then the New Day ended up turning heel, and uh, that that's where they took off. Mm-hmm. But from there, they're they're super entertaining. Um, like you said, very cohesive together. Uh, again, a, a group of guys that had nothing to do. They they had nothing to do with. Kofi was just there. Biggie was just there, and Xavier Woods was coming over from Impact. And um, you no, know, they took off, and, and you know the rest is history with regards to New Day. Fantastic team. Um, again, just the reason I had them at seven was to me that's where I thought they deserved to be, but. No slight on the new data. Yeah, no slight at all. I mean, like I said, they. I know WWF or WWE has not been big on uh, tag team wrestling, tag team wrestling, especially recently. But um, the new day, I think, definitely, um, you know, carries the torch for tag team wrestling. It shows how important it really is to a federation. Even if Vince doesn't give a shit about tag team wrestling anymore, you know, you have a team like the New Day that makes the fans care. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I think is great. And yeah, there you go. I, I totally agree with uh with the New Day being where they are. I had them at number four on my personal list, and that's exactly where they are on the uh, master list here at number four with 21 points the new day all right let's move we're into the top three now so let's get in here let's see who is number three on our list number three comes in with a total of 23 points um they came in at number three on my personal list uh they were number three on adam's personal list as well bob you had them at number four so we all had them all around the same point. Um, but, yeah, we're talking about Brett the Hitman Hart and Jim the Anvil Neidhart, the Hart Foundation, coming in at number three on our list with 23 points. Um, I'll start off, you know, me and Adam both had the the uh, Hart Foundation at number three on our lists. The Hart Foundation um, came in and have been – they had two runs with the World Tag Team Champions Championships uh, for a total of 483 days. Their first, their first run came, coming in January of 1987, where one second here, just gotta find out. Yeah, 
first one, they, January in 1987, they beat the British Bulldogs and they held the belts in that first run for 274 days, uh, all the way up until October of 87. So they had the belts for about 10 months there, almost a year. And then they would win the belts again in August of 1990. Uh, they beat Demolition there. And they held the belts from August of 1990 all the way up to March of 1991. Another 209 days with that belt before they dropped it to the Nasty Boys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what can you say about a team like the Hart Foundation? You had, again, another team like the British Bulldogs where you had the technical guy and the muscle. You know, you had Bret Hart, you know, what else can you say about Bret Hart that hasn't already been said? He's the excellence execution for a reason. One of the best technical wrestlers of all time. One of the best champions of all time, period. Um, just one of the best workers in the history of the sport. And then you have Jim DeAnvil Neidhart, who's the muscle. He's the guy who, uh, you know, like Davy Boy Smith in the British Bulldogs, uh, is the guy who will probably get the hot tag after, uh, after Hitman gets kind of bounced around in the ring for a bit, and he's the one who's doing all the power moves and just getting the crowd worked up for that hot tag. You know, it's, you know, the Hart Foundation, you know, whether they're heels or, um, you know, whether they're heels or whether they're faces, mostly they were heels as a tag team and they worked out good, but sometimes they were faces. Uh, Either, either time, they were great. You know, I, I have nothing but fond memories of watching the Hart Foundation when I was a kid. Um, I know Adam was a huge Hart Foundation Mark II growing up, and that kind of explains why he has them at number three on his list as well. Um, just a, one of the best tag teams of the 80s, bar none. Uh, yeah, I got nothing really else to say about the Hart Foundation other than they definitely deserve their their spot on the list. Uh, Bob, what do you have to say about the Hart Foundation? I think you mentioned it perfectly when you said one of the best tag teams of the 80s because in the WWF at that time, you know, the, the late 80s, you know, the tag teams that they had there were fantastic. And for the Hart Foundation to be one of the ones that sticks out is, uh, you know, says a lot for them. Uh, again, I, I love the fact that, like you mentioned, like the British Bulldogs, you had the power and you had the technical grace of uh, Bret Hart. One of my favorite things about them is either as they're good guys or the bad guys, they made their opponents look fantastic. Um, you know, it could be the Killer Bees, it could be the Islanders, the Rougeau Brothers, the Young Stallion, whoever the hell they were going up against. They made them look like this is a believable team that can challenge us for the belt and could almost beat us, but we'll find a way out of it. And uh, that, that's one of the great things you appreciate about a team like that. Um, when they had, uh, they were bad guys and they had Jimmy Hart with them. That was fun, you know, and, and you would root for them there. And I think that at one time they even had uh, Danny Davis, uh, the referee was in their, in their pocket too. And uh, again, when they go up against demolition, like you said, um, that a great fantastic feud with demolition unfortunately demolition that was towards the end of their run but a fantastic feud that they had with them and just um they they were just fun to watch fun fun watch the with the the heart foundation and just they, they deserve to be ranked where they're at right now yeah i i i agree totally so 
Yeah, there you go. At number three in our list with 23 points overall, the Heart Foundation. All right. Well, let's get into our number two pick, our penultimate pick here. Uh, they come in also with 23 points. Um tied with the Heart Foundation, but they come in with the tiebreaker because they were number one on someone's personal list, and that someone was me. I had this particular team number one on my personal list. Bobby had them at number three on your personal list. Adam had them at number six. We are talking about the Dudley boys, Bubba Ray and Devon, the Dudleys coming in at number two with 23 points. Um, you know, I'll start off with the Dudleys. Uh, you know, I mean, what what the hell else can you say about the Dudleys that hasn't been said? They're one of the most uh, decorated tag teams of all time. Um, you know, the coming in in ECW where they are without a doubt the uh, – the best ECW tag team that ever, that ever lived. You know, they held the ECW belts eight times. Um, And then they move and go to the WWF and they held the WW, the, the uh, world tag team championship also eight times, the same amount of reigns they had with the ECW belt they had with the world tag team belt. Um, And they also had, a run with the Raw Tag Team Championship. Uh, so overall, you know, even though they had, they kind of are in the Hardy space where even though they had, um, you know, a, a bunch of runs, their duration of those runs were not really all that much. Uh, of their eight runs, it was a duration total of 281 days that they had those belts. Um like we said, the new day had more than that, just with that one run alone. So yeah, they had the belt a lot, but it wasn't uh, very long as far as duration goes. But the reason why I picked the Dudley's number one was because I believe that, you know, their the number of times they had those runs with the belt um, did mean something even if it wasn't for very long i think that the 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 amount of times they they had the belts meant more especially coming out of ecw where they also held, held those particular belts eight times i mean to have 16 separate runs with with the with the championship between those two leagues that's that's fucking impressive i don't i don't care who you are you know, you're one of the most storied tag tag teams of all time. And, you know, the, of course, they had the famous uh, TLC matches with Edge and Christian and, uh, and the Hardys. You know, those three teams just getting the best out of each other day in, day out. Um, you know, it's just the Dudleys will go down as my favorite tag team of all time. Did that kind of create a bias as to why I have them number one. Yeah, probably. But, you know, I think, you know, even if there is a little bit of a bias, I think that having them at number one is justified considering what they were able to do as a team and how important they were to professional wrestling, not in just WWF, but also in ECW. Um, 
Yeah, that's why I had them in number one. Uh, Bob, you had them in number three on your list. What do you have to say about the Dudleys? Uh, I, I love the Dudley boys. And obviously, you know, growing up, we were huge ECW fans. Um, so, but that's where I kind of had to cut it off. Cause like I said, we, I felt like we were focusing on the WWE champions of all time. And yeah, if it was just, I think we did the tag team episode and the Dudleys were our number one team overall, but that was tag team overall. Um, when it came here, like you said, nine total runs, 302 days. What, what killed it for me was just, I think we talked about this a little bit recently. Um, the, the shortness of the reigns. Their longest reign was their eighth reign where they beat La Resistance in September of uh, 2003. They held the belt for 84 days. Other than that, we're looking at 35 days, 43 days, 13 days, 20 days, uh, 50 days, one day, and then 21 days. Um, I love the Dudley boys. Like you said, one of the most decorated tag teams in the history of wrestling. Uh, they dominated everywhere they go. ECW, TNA Impact, the WWF, wherever they were at, they were just amazing. Amazing heels. Um, and again, they, they were just, whenever they were up against the Hardys or Edge and Christian or the uh, the APA, they were just must-watch matches. Uh, but why I put them down lower on my list is just because even though they had the number of reigns, the shortness that they had it, um, you know, it's what kind of brought it down for me. Uh, again, I love the Dudley boys. No, no slight against them. They definitely deserve to be where they're at ranked number two. Um, but that's the only reason I held back on it, just because I kind of just wanted to focus on their WWF reigns and just it, it wasn't long enough for me. Um you know, sometimes they would win the belt and they wouldn't even defend it. They'd lose it the next day. Uh, they did that with Lance Storms and, and William Regal. Or they won the belt and they would defend it against Scott Steiner and Test, against, uh, you know, Garrison Kay to Mark Jindrak, um, Paul London and Billy Kidman. You know, it's just like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, they they should have been used better. And when they were used, like with regards to the Hardys and with Edge and Christian, a lot of those big impact matches, Edge and Christian were the ones always coming over at the end, you know, uh, with winning the belts. So especially those WrestleMania matches that we talked about. So I think that's why I kind of had Edge and Christian up a little bit higher on my list, but um, no slight on the Dudleys. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, when it came to my own personal list, I'll fully admit my personal bias came out. <laughs> I put the Dudleys at number one. But, you know, hey, I'm not mad that they show up at number two overall on our list. So there you go. At number two with 23 points overall, we have the Dudley boys. All right. Well, that means we're at number one on our list. But before we do that, let's go to our honorable mentions. These honorable mentions are teams that didn't quite have enough points to uh, make our top 10, but they had enough points to, uh, excuse me, they had enough points to make an honorable mention for us to mention them, even though they didn't crack that that top 10 line so uh let's get to number 11 on our list our first honorable mention this tag team came in with five and a half points they got those points because they were number 10 on my personal list bob you had them as an honorable mention and adam had them as number seven on his list we're talking about the team of mr fuji 
and Professor Toru Tanaka. Um, yeah, let's see the the team of uh, Fuji and Tanaka coming in at number eleven. Um, let's see. It looks like uh, the Toru Tanaka and, and Mr. Fuji had what three overall runs with the belt, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Five hundred. Uh, yeah. So, you know, definitely one of the top tag teams of the formative years of of uh, the WWE or WWF, or would it, would it have been WWF at that point? Because uh, they want, they had their first run with the belt starting in June of 1972, where they beat uh, Chief J Strongbow and Sonny King, and they held that the belts and that initial run for almost a year. They, uh, they won it in June, like I said, of 72, and then they lost it in May of 73 to the team of Haystacks, Calhoun and Tony Gurea. Um, and then they ended up winning the belts back from Calhoun and Gurea, uh, 114 days later, back in September of 73. Uh, but then they, they only had it for 64 days for that run. Um, dropping it in November of 73 to the team of Gurea and Dean Ho. And let's see, they had their final run with the belt starting in September of 77 when uh, they the, the belt was vacant. I believe they won like a, a tournament or whatever. They, they ended up uh, winning the belts in a tournament for the vacant title in September 77. And they held it for 178 days uh, all the way up until March of 78 when they dropped it to Dino Bravo and Dominic Danucci. And that was it for the team of uh, Fuji and Tanaka. They wouldn't win the belts after that, but Hey, you know, for to have three runs with the belt in that era, uh, for that amount of days is pretty impressive. And from what I'm told, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, matches or footage of the team of Fuji and Tanaka, because of course, you know, they, their run was pretty much over before I was even born. But just looking back at the history of it and seeing the rains and everything, you know, 500 total cumulative days with the belt in three runs, should definitely get you some kind of spot on the list, or at least a mention, and that's exactly what happened here. Uh, Bob, you have anything to say about the the team of Fuji and Tanaka? They were a great heel tag team. Um, they they were just uh, you know dominant in the seventies, like you mentioned. They they held the belt three times, five hundred sixty nine days. Again, the, another typical tag team. You have you have uh, you know the agile Mister Fuji. Uh, which you never would have thought of when we know, saw Mr. Fuji. He was always walking around with the pimp cane and the top hat. But, um, you know, and then Professor Turo Tanaka, who was just a monster of a man. And, um, you know, the, the strong physical brute strength of the group. And, and Fuji would always be like that sneaky guy that would throw the salt in your eyes to get the victories. And um, they they just always found a way to, to, to pull away a victory at the end and, and sneak, a, sneak their belts out. But... Uh, yeah, the, just a dominant tag team in the 70s. You 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 mentioned their third one when they won the vacant titles. You forgot to mention that they beat my boy Larry Zabisco to win that title. So Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that bastard. Um, but they uh, after their first two wins, they ended up leaving the company. 
uh, for three years. They came back and then they won their third belt with Freddie Blassie as their manager when they had him there. So definitely a big fan of uh, Mr. Fuji and proof Turo Tanaka. Nice. All right. Well, there we go. Number 11 on our list. Our first honorable mention, the, the professor Turo Tanaka and Mr. Fuji coming in with five and a half points. All right. Coming in at number 12, our second honorable mention here, uh, coming, coming in with two points and they got those points because they were an honorable mention on my list an honorable mention on Bob's list. Adam had them at number 10 on his list. We're talking about the team of the Valiant brothers coming in Jerry and Johnny or uh, Jimmy and Johnny Valiant or Jerry, you know, there was, who was it? It was, was it Jerry or Jimmy? That was, uh, it was, that was in the Valiant brothers. It was Johnny and Jimmy. And then Jerry replaced them at the end. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Either way, the Valiant brothers coming in at number 12, our second honorable mention here, uh, Bob, how about you take it away? Tell us about the Valiant brothers. So the Valiant brothers was, um, they, they were, they were big in, in the early seventies, uh, when they appeared in 74, but they were just a team that was just way above their time, you know, like way before their time they came in and here you have these two flamboyant, uh, brash, arrogant guys that just had amazing chemistry together when they wrestled. And, um, you know, they were a fantastic heel tag team. They won their only belt. Um, cause like they, they had variations of it and I'll explain it to you as I say it. Uh, May of 1974, they beat Dean Ho and Tony Guerrero. We just mentioned them winning the belts from Fuji earlier. Um, and they ended up losing the belts. They hold it for 370 days. And they, before demolition broke the record, that was the original record that was there. Um, the one that we talked about new day beating as well, but, uh, that was the original record 370 days. They held the belts for, and, um, they lost to Dominic Nucci and Victor Rivera soon afterwards. They went to the NWA and they, they won belts over there and they came back to the WWF in 1978. But at that time, Jimmy Valiant, uh, he retired due to health issues. So they brought in another supposed brother, uh, Jerry Valiant who replaced them. And they ended up winning the tag titles again, but I didn't count them together because they were separate brothers and it was a separate team. Um, but the one of Johnny and Jimmy Valiant to me was the one that stood out compared to the one with Jerry in it. So uh, I had to mark them on my list. They were my number 15 honorable mention. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember Johnny Valiant more as a uh, as a singles wrestler mm-hmm. uh, because, of course, the, the Valiant brothers as a team were pretty much done by the time I started watching wrestling. So yeah, I, I fully remember Johnny Valiant. Um, but yeah, doing the research and seeing uh, the success that the Valiant brothers had uh, as a tag team. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, like I said, I can't really speak too much on them cause I, I didn't really watch them, but the success says it all. And I, that's why I put them in my honorable mentions. There's a lot of teams that didn't get the success that uh, the Valiants did, and they definitely should get their due. So, yeah, have no problem with them being in our honorable mentions with two points overall. Our number 12, second honorable mention, the Valiant Brothers. All right, number 13 on our list, our third honorable mention. Uh, Kind of an interesting one here. Um, This particular team also got... um, 
two points. And they got the two points because they came in at number nine overall on Adam's list. And uh, I'm going to have to look these guys up real quick to kind of uh, look it up here because I'm not really uh, I'm not really too uh, too uh, well versed in this tag team. Uh, but the tag team is the team of Brian Kendrick and Paul London coming in at number 13 on our list with two points. Like I said, coming in at number nine overall on Adam's list. Um, let's see here. The uh, the team of Paul London, or Paul London and the Brian Kendrick. Uh, let's see. He had, let's see, one run with the WWE tag team belt uh, starting in um, – May of 2006 and lasting 331 days. So from May of 2006 all the way till April of 2007, um, Kendrick and London held the the WWE Tag Team Championship. Uh, They also had a run with the World Tag Team Championship only for three days. Uh, That lasted from in September of uh, 2007, but that, that run with the WWE tag team championship, I'm sure is what Adam saw and uh, led him to putting them at number. uh, Let's see here at number nine on his overall list. Uh, Let's see. Paul can. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, (laughs) I, I can't really speak on it too much because, you know, I, this was a point where I really wasn't watching wrestling. I know that run is impressive. Um, they, like I said, they they won the belt in May of 2006. They beat the team of Eminem, which is uh, Johnny Nitro and Joey Mercury, um, and then they held the belt for almost a full year before they dropped it to the team of Deuce and Domino for fuck's sake uh, back in uh, April of 2007. But. Um, yeah, I mean, all I knew, all I really know about that team is that you know Kendrick and London, both high flyers, both cruiserweights, uh, very entertaining to watch the both of them. Uh, I know uh, Paul London got fired for smiling at Vince on camera. That's what I know about Paul London. Uh, and Brian Kendrick um, came back in the cruiserweight classic and was on two hundred five live for a little bit, but now I, I don't know where he's at. But, yeah, that's basically all I really have for uh, the team of Kendrick in London. Uh, Bob, do you have anything to add about the team of Brian Kendrick and Paul London? Um, 331 days is impressive. I get it. Um, Nine total defenses in 331 days against the Mexicools, the Pitbulls, who are Jamie Noble and Kid Cash. Um. And then William Regal and Dave Taylor. Uh, you mentioned Deuce and Domino, and, and then one one defense against Eminem. Uh, nine nine defenses in three hundred and thirty one days, and then their second one is a three day def- or three day reign that they had. I, I got I got nothing on Paul <laughs> Paul London and Brian Kendrick. I'm sorry. Um, no. If 
if you told me to list my top 50 tag teams champions of all time, I don't know if I'd even put them in my in, in there as well. Um, that, that's all I've got to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, gu- I mean, I'm guessing Adam saw the, the rain that they had, you know, it was almost a year and that's why I put them in there. I'm guessing, you know, I wish he was here so he could, uh, so he could talk about it, but you know, as it were, he had them at number nine with two points. They're just an honorable mention. So yeah, there you go. The team of, uh, Paul London and Brian Kendrick coming in at number 13 on our list. Um, yeah, let's move to number 14, shall we? Uh, <laughs> number 14 comes in with one and a half points and they got those one and a half points from being a unanimous honorable mention on our list. We're talking about Hawk and animal, not the road warriors, the Legion of doom coming in at number 14 on our list. Bob, let's start with you. What do you have to say about LOD? I never thought I'd do a list where Paul London and Brian Kendrick were above the Legion of Doom. (laughs) You want to talk about the Dudley boys being one of the most decorated teams in the history of the world. So were the Legion of Doom. Um, You know, they dominated the AWA, the NWA, Japan, WCW. Vince McMahon gets his hands on them and he neuters the Legion of Doom. Um, you know, he, he just, these guys were impressive, the physique, the look, the appearance, like just mentally by looking at them when they were coming down the ring, you, you already were scared. Um, you know, just the, the music that they had, the, they had, um, I, I want, I meant to mention it earlier with the heart foundation, one of the best tandem finishers they had the doomsday device, you know, the heart foundation had the heart attack. But these guys had a doomsday device. That finisher was fantastic. I loved every part of it. But, um, you know, you, you get to the WWF and you have two reigns for 213 days. Um, everyone was talking about Demolition and the Legion of Doom when they were coming in. You know, so, so finally the Legion of Doom gets brought over August of 1991. Uh, 165 days, they beat the Nasty Boys. They win their first belt. They defended 15 times, Power and Glory, Nasty Boys, the Natural Disasters, the Rockers. Uh, then our boy Hawk fails a drug test, and they have to drop the belts to Money, Inc. Um, they leave the company. They come back shortly afterwards. That's when they reinvent themselves, and they bring in Paul Ellering, and they bring in the, vin- the ventriloquist dummy that we've talked about before. Um, that didn't really work out. <laughs> if you remember SummerSlam of 92, when Hawk comes yeah. to the ring, and he's completely inebriated during the match. Um, so they leave for WCW. They come back October of 97. They win against the Godwins for their second belt. That one they hold for 48 days. Uh, they only defend it one time against Los Boricuas. <laughs> um, and, and then they lose to the New Age Outlaws on Raw, and they never get the belt again. Uh, they disappeared, came back about a year later, WrestleMania 14 as LOD 2000. But you know, that's when they started bringing in draws and he was a part of that. And, you know, unfortunately we just really don't want to talk about that part of their career. Cause that's even more watered down to the water down version. They already were, but uh, yeah, the, the WWF could have done so much with them. We've, we've talked about that with so many people in the past, they could have done so much with these people and then they didn't. Um, but this is sad. It had, had, they actually use them in the proper way, you know, Legion of Doom slash Road Warriors would have probably been in the top three easily if they would have been used the proper way. Yeah. It's a shame too, you know, cause it's, 
you have one of the most decorated tag teams of all time, mm-hmm. you know, and if if you can't use a team like the Road Warriors to their full potential, then I don't know what you're doing as far as tag teams are concerned. It's ridiculous um, to, for them to only have two runs with the belt for about 200 days. That's, you know, it's ridiculous. I, I There's no other way to really talk about it. It's, you know, the WWE just, or WWF just totally mishandled the, these guys. They hadn't, it just, they're just, it's just obvious that they didn't know what they had. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the rest of the world knew what they had, you know, you know, the road warriors just being over as hell in NWA in the AWA in Japan, everywhere they basically went, they were superstars and it, it goes again. I think it's akin to the whole thing where Vince uh, didn't create them. So Vince didn't give a shit about them. So, you know, hey, you know, is what it is. Uh, yeah. So I, while they deserve to be to have a mention because of the caliber of the team that they have, yeah, for it to just be an honorable mention is is sufficient considering that we're just talking about the WWF run. Right. Uh, so there you go, LOD coming in. As our number fourteen, our fourth overall, fourth overall honorable mention, with uh, one and a half points. All right. Well, our last honorable mention uh, comes in with one point, and they got that one point by being an honorable mention on both my list and your list, Bob. We're talking about the awesome team of Tito Santana and Rick Martel. I was hoping Strike Force. Yeah, that's right. Strike Force coming in as our last honorable mention. Um, I'll I'll let you do the honors, Bob. Let's talk about Strike Force. I love me some Strike Force. Um, Tito Santana, Rick the Model Martel before he was a model. Um, one reign, 152 days. Um, I I love the way that Tito Santana tells it. When they were pitched the idea of a tag team, Vince McMahon comes in with a giant smile and he says, "We're going to call your team the Border Patrol." And, <laughs> and Tito, Tito, Tito Santana has to uh, clearly tell Vince about everything that's going on in Mexico with all the people dying, getting caught, and all this, trying to cross the border and all this other stuff. So he goes, um, well, let's think about something else. So Tito throws a promo against the Islanders and says, we're going to strike force into the Islanders, and that's where that team comes about. And they just took off, man. They were so much fun. Uh, the music, the appearance, the the high-flying skills that they had, they, they gelled immediately together. And the reason I put them on the list, they won their, their first title October of 87 against the Hart Foundation, held it for 152 days. Um, you know, they defended against the Bolsheviks, the Hart Foundation, the Islanders, and they lose it to Russell, to Demolition at WrestleMania four. Um, and they end up splitting the, the the belts, or they split up the team soon after Martel went and did his model gimmick. Tito went and did the fantastic uh, Matador gimmick. But the reason I put them on there, for them to, to be champs during the time of the British Bulldogs, the Demolitions, the Hart Foundations, the Bolsheviks that I mentioned, the Islanders, all these, the Rockers, uh, the Rougeau brothers, all these fantastic teams that the WWF had at that time, and strike forces, you know, riding the ship and, and r- leading the way, you know, to me, that was super impressive, especially the way that the fans got behind them. The fans loved them. Again, just the appearance, the uh, 
the music that they had coming out to the ring. Uh, they were just so much fun. And there was one, when, you know, growing up as a kid, I remember watching them with you at your house. Um, anytime Strike Force would come out, I would just mark out. I was a huge fan of Strike Force. So I'm definitely glad that they made the list and we got to talk about them. Yeah. Like I said, I, one of my favorite teams of the 80s, man. Uh, just two really talented guys in Rick Martel and Tito Santana. They had some good chemistry as a team. I know, uh, you know, they they weren't very uh, long for the tag team division. Like I said, they once they dropped the belts to demolition, um, you know, they split up not long after that with Rick Martel, of course, going heel and uh turning into the model but you know as a tag team they were awesome man Uh it was you know they were a very energetic very exciting tag team um i was you know when they won the belts i was over the moon because at that point they were probably my favorite tag team um so yeah just i'm happy like you are that they at least get a mention uh, on this list, even if it is the number 15 uh, last honorable mention spot, they're still on the list. So there you go. Number 15, our last honorable mention goes to the team of Rick Martel and Tito Santana Strike Force. All right. Well, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we are at our number one pick and our number one pick really shouldn't be a surprise to anybody who, uh, you know, has been paying attention to our list so far. Our number one pick comes in with 24 points overall, which put them just above the Dudley Boys and the Hart Foundation. Um, They got those 24 points from, excuse me, from being number two on my personal list, They were number two on Adam's personal list. Bobby had them at number five on your list. We're talking about the team of Axe and Smash, Demolition, coming in at number one with 24 points. Um, Let's see. It's kind of weird. We don't really have any teams that finish number one overall on our show here that didn't get at least one number one from one of us who are voting, but that's the, that's the case uh, this week. None of us had demolition as the number one overall on our list, but they finished with enough points to get the top spot. So I'll start because he was number two on my list, number two on Adams um, demolition uh, won their first title in uh, back in March of 1988, the team of X and smash. Um, and they held that belt or they, they held those belts, uh, let's see, March 88. That was their record-breaking uh, reign, that first reign they had uh, for 478 days. They held it from March of 1988 to July of 1989, so over a year. And then they ended up losing it in July of 89 to the Brain Busters. Uh, the Brain Busters were pretty much just transition champs at that point. They held the belts only for about three months from uh, July to October of 89 before dropping the belts back to demolition. Uh, Demolition had the belts in that second run for 72 days from uh, October of 89 to December of 89. 
before losing those belts to the Colossal Connection, of course, that being the team of Andre the Giant and Haku. Um, and they would end up winning the belts from the Colossal Connection, the team of Axe, Smash, and now Crush being along with them uh, in April of 1990, and they held the belts again for another 148 days until August of 1990 when they dropped the belts to the Hart Foundation. And I believe that was the, yeah, that was it for for Axe and Smash there. So they had three runs with the belt. Um and of course, the big one being that first reign where they held the belt for over 438 days. Um, yeah, I mean, just when you think about, you know, this era of the WWF, uh, very tag team heavy. And just for Axe and Smash to be the cream of the crop in that era is a big deal. I mean, I know. I know what the what the detractors are going to say. The demolition was just Vince's version of the Road Warriors, which, you know, basically that's what they were. But and of course they were going to get more success than the LOD because they were Vince's creation. But that team of demolition was still formidable. They were still very talented, and they still dominated that division uh, very honorably and very believably. Um, that guillotine uh, elbow drop, I think, is one of the coolest finisher tag team finishers of all time. Um, yeah, I mean, just I had them at number two on my list for a reason. They were of that era, the top team, you know, that late 80s, early 90s era. They were the team to be reckoned with. And since that pretty much was the golden age of tag team wrestling in the WWF, yeah, I think they deserved the number one spot. Um, Bob, you had the demolition number five on your list. What do you have to say about Axe and Smash and, I guess, eventually Crush? I, I skip Crush. Uh, <laughs> from 1987 to 1990, tag team wrestling was run by the demolition and, and the WWF. Um, you know, everything from, from just the beginning, the intro of their music, their appearance, their face paint, uh, like you said, the just their their gear when they would come out you're like you were all about demolition you you were you were super excited they were they were from parts unknown like you like to talk about last week um you know even with mr fuji as their manager you know they they were just it, it, i loved everything about demolition um like you mentioned strike force they beat them at wrestlemania 4 um 478 days they held the championship for they, they defended the belt 42 times and again this is the heyday of tag team wrestling they they beat the british bulldogs seven times strike force uh you want to talk about a copy of a copy um powers of pain that was a demolition ripoff pretty much nine times they defended them against uh powers of pain the heart foundation twice the rockers the twin towers three times the brain busters and they end up losing the belts to the brain busters uh but then at that time during that giant rain their their heels and the crowd just loved them and supported them they end up transitioning them to faces during that that uh during that rain and they get rid of mr fuji um you mentioned the uh, the second reign with the Brain Busters. They held that one for, for 72 days. Um, they only defended twice, but they had defended against a couple of jobbers that no one really knows who they are. 
the third reign WrestleMania six. Uh, they beat the collection connection. They get it for 10, um, 10 defenses, 148 days. They beat the Bolsheviks. They beat the, the rockers, uh, eight pairs of jobbers that they threw against them before they lost to the heart foundation. Um, and then unfortunately at that time, that's when, uh, X's health is just deteriorating. He can't do it. Um, and then this is the part where it was a shame because that's when they were starting to bring in the Legion of Doom. So they're, you know, Vince's creation versus the, what he based his creation off of, which was the Legion of Doom. And when they finally put them together, unfortunately, X's uh, health is deteriorating. He's uh, he's not he's always injured. And uh, just that big fantasy feud that you've always wanted to see in your entire life just didn't play out to what it was supposed to be. And then your boy Crush comes along and, and just kills the rest of the gimmick. But um those three years especially those three years demolition was the team to be definitely um yeah like i said just being the alpha dogs in the in the hottest era of the of the of the division yeah number one man i i can't say it any more than we just did so there we go number one on our list with 24 points Axe and Smash Demolition is our top team as far as the WWE slash WWF tag team champions are concerned. Number one on our list. All right. Well, there we go. Um, let, before we uh, do anything else, let's go back through our list here from 10 to 1 and recap our picks. Um, at number 10 with six and a half points, we have the Usos. At number nine, also with six and a half points, but benefiting from a tiebreaker, we have the Wild Samoans. At number eight, with eight points, we have the British Bulldogs. At number seven, with 13 points, we have the New Age Outlaws. At number six, with 15 and a half points, we have the Hardy Boys. At number five, also with 15 and a half points, but benefiting from a tiebreaker, we have Edging Christian. At number four, with 21 points, we have The New Day. At number three, with 23 points, we have The Heart Foundation. At number two, also with 23 points, but benefiting from a tiebreaker, we have The Dudley Boys. And at number one, with 24 points, as we were just talking about, we have Demolition. So there we go. Our top 10 enhancement talent list for the top WWF slash WWE tag team champs of all time. Uh, how do you think the list went, Bob? Do you think it's a, a fair representation of the WWF slash WWE tag team championships? Yeah. I mean, if we're just focusing on the WWE tag team champions, uh, 10, to, 10 to 1 is a pretty good list. Um you know, it's, there, there were so many ones that, like, you can flip-flop. You know, we talked about the Dudley's uh, Edge and Christian, uh, the Heart Foundation demolition. You know, a lot of these could have been easily one through five on many people's lists. Uh, that's how good they were. That's how talented it was. That's how the stack this this list of uh, teams that we were going over. It wasn't an easy list to compile, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm content with the top ten. Yeah, so am I. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any debating that all these teams deserve to be where they're at on this list. Um, you can make, you can make a case for others, but yeah, I think, uh, at least with the top 10, 
I'm pretty set. I think it's a pretty fair representation of the division as far as this particular federation is concerned. So, all right. Well, before we go, like we do every week, let's give you our match of the week picks. Uh, This is where Bob and I give you uh, some matches that you guys can watch in the meantime, in between time, before our next show. Uh, Bob, what is your match of the week pick this week? Um, I went tag team route. Um, I wanted to kind of focus on the number ones, which kind of funny that it works out this way. Uh, we, we've talked so many times. My number one was Edge and Christian. We've talked so many times about the TLC matches that they had with the Dudleys and the Hardys. So I didn't want to, you know, go just go to that match again instantly. So I went to uh SummerSlam, August of 1990. And it's kind of funny because it's demolition who end up being our number one versus uh, the heart foundation. Who was our number three? Uh, that's when the hearts uh, dethroned demolition in a best two out of three uh, falls match. Um, fantastic wrestling right there. Great, great wrestling. Um, if you, if you got a chance to check it out, SummerSlam, August of 1990, the heart foundation versus demolition a two out of three falls match. Yeah, that's some old school action, man. I like that. Um, my match of the week pick. Um, let's see, about two weeks ago, NXT. Uh, well, not two weeks ago, about a week ago at this point, NXT had their in your house uh, pay per view, and I wanted to mention this match because it was probably one of the best matches that I've seen out of NXT in a while. It was their main event match. It was a a five man elimination match, or not an elimination match, but a five a five-man match for the NXT Championship between uh, Karrion Cross, Johnny Gargano, um, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and um, Pete Dunne. And just watching that match, I mean, the, the, the pay-per-view as a whole was okay. It was all right. You know, it was pretty solid. There were some cool matches. There were some not cool matches. But it was, you know, up until that match, it was so-so. It was this match that kind of saved the the entire pay-per-view for me. This match uh, is in the running for match of the year as far as I'm concerned. Um, just every guy in the match got their own time to shine. Uh, it was, you know, thrilling, you know, with false finishes and, and um, you know, spoil finishing moves and, and everything. Everybody, like I said, everybody got their chance to kind of, shine in uh in this particular match what the guy who impressed me the most out of everybody (coughs) was probably kyle o'reilly and kyle o'reilly had a really good showing pete dunn had a really good showing uh gargano and cole are going to give you you know great matches no matter what the only guy was kind of uh disappointed in was carrying cross um you know he's the champ he's the guy who actually won the match and retained the belt He's kind of their, you know, he's NXT's version of Brock Lesnar, it seems. You know, he's the the monster who can't be beat. But even he had his his moments in this match. I just thought it was a really, really good job, breathtaking five-way match. Uh, I was glued to it from beginning to end, and that's why I have it as my uh, match of the week pick, the 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 five-man match from uh, NXT uh, in your house uh, between Karrion Cross, Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, uh, Kyle O'Reilly, and Pete Dunne. Check it out. It's on Peacock if you have it uh, on demand. Give it a look. 
All right. Well, that's the end of our show, everybody. I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, again, if you want to drop us a line, there's two ways you could do it. Uh, you can send us an email. Our email address is enhancementtalent316 at gmail.com. Again, that our email address is enhancementtalent316 at gmail.com. Or you can... Uh, interact with us on our Facebook fan page. Uh, just look us up on Facebook, the enhancement talent. Uh, you can, you know, join into the league, drop us a line, uh, interact with us. Me, Bob and Adam are all admins on the page. So if you say anything, we're going to see it and we will bring up whatever you say right here on the show. Just ask our friend, the mouth of the South suburbs, um, Rich Tito, whenever he leaves a comment, we answer. So yeah, uh, we just hope to hear from you guys. Uh, anything you'd like to say, Bob, before we, before we take off? No, I think today's episode was fun. Um, like you said, it was, uh, it was kind of hard to, uh, compile this list cause there's so many great tag teams and we're going back. So such a far, far, far time where we combined all the, all the, the, the reins together, but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, me too. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. And we will be back next week to wrap up our championship series uh, with our top 10 list of the top WCW tag team champs of all time. But until then, for the other half of the Fabulous Lopez Cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez, I am Tony Lopez, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.